This is episode 11 of the Millennial Life School podcast on how to find clarity in life direction during a time of transition with Paul Sohn. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Millennial Life School podcast, where it's all about inspiring and encouraging 20 to 30-something-year-olds as we figure life out together. Y'all, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode on the Millennial Life School podcast. I know I say this every single episode, but I am so freaking excited and thrilled to be sharing this episode with you guys. Research shows that 80% of your life's most defining moments happen before the age 35. In other words, your 20s is the most transformative and critical period of your life. And I'm so excited because today's guest, Paul Sohn, he is someone who is all about building up millennials to really step into who they were created to be and discover their unique calling in life. So Paul Sohn, he is the founder and CEO of CARA, Q-A-R-A, which is a millennial ministry to help young adults discover their unique calling in life. He is a 1.5 gen Korean-Canadian American, a leadership coach, a speaker, and the best-selling author of the book Quarter Life Calling, which has been translated to multiple different languages worldwide. He is the adjunct professor of calling and career, as well as the director of strategic career initiative at Biola University. He also has a blog that was ranked number 15 out of world's top 50 leadership blogs to follow. And Paul was also named one of the top 33 under 33 Christian millennials to follow by Christianity Today. Y'all, like, honestly, I was so excited personally to be able to talk with Paul because um, I think one thing that I really appreciate about you know, starting a podcast and about my experience so far with this is that I get to talk with all these people who are, you know, so much smarter and so much more ahead of me. And Paul is someone that, you know, I wish I had as a mentor when I was going through my own quarter life crisis and I had no idea what I was doing, you know. So this episode goes really deep about calling, finding your purpose, and what it means to discover who you are created to be. In this episode, Paul talks about his own journey of quitting his high-paying Fortune 50 job without having a job lined up in his late 20s, and how he was able to turn his quarter-life crisis into a quarter-life calling. He shares with us the top books that he read in his 20s that impacted his life the most, how his definition of success changed when he faced his quarter-life crisis, and how we can start exploring who we are. And he also shares in this episode how people can find clarity in life direction during a time of transition. So I'm really excited for this episode Um, I really believe that, you know, this episode can be a turning point for some of you listening. And so I'm super excited and I'm honored to be able to share this episode with you guys. So let's get right in. Mom, oh my. This is millennial. 
Life School Podcast with Sharon Kiron Han. Paul, welcome to the Millennial Life School Podcast. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's such an honor. And honestly, I was looking forward to this interview so much because I think what's great about being a podcaster is that I always get to talk to people who are so much smarter and so much more ahead in life than I am. So honestly, it's just so amazing because I feel like this time is a time for me to be just like mentored by you, the author of Quarter Life Calling. Oh, well, it's an honor. And, you know, I've only in the recent last few weeks been, you know, um, following your stuff and it's great like what you're doing and I love how you're uh, really creating and sharing a message of uh, positivity and helping people learn and grow and um, you know I think it's it's cool to see that so yeah thank you for you know doing that oh thank you no it's <laughs> it's wow that means a lot coming from you so thank you so much for your kind words of course, absolutely. So like when you're looking at me or looking at y- people who are younger, looking at people in the 20s, like, is there something that you're like, oh, like, oh, yeah, this is what it was like when I was like in my younger 20s? Yeah, you know, I think when I think about um, people in their 20s, generally, there is this kind of like, it's, it's a weird stage to be in, but it's kind of feeling like this in-between stage where you feel like you are not an adolescent anymore, but you're also not an adult. And it's like, you're kind of of going back and forth. And uh, because as an adult, it means like you're having commitments and you're like Mm -hmm. settling down. And I think in your 20s, especially the world we're living in today, um, young people, they don't want to just kind of stay rooted uh especially in the younger years they want to get as many experiences and um try new things before they feel like i want to settle down so generally there is a sense of kind of like you're exploring and with exploration comes a lot of anxiety and just like mm-hmm. oh i don't know what's going to happen with my life so you're feeling like you're in this liminal space um a transition and you know that's a big part of it and oftentimes you can feel lost in that um, so I think for those who are just, yeah, just trying to struggle there, you know, it's, it's a process. Like they have to realize it's not just one event. It's like your entire decade in your yeah. 20s is a process, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. No, you said it so well. That is exactly kind of like how I felt. And I remember mm-hmm. just like reflecting on it um, just like a couple of years ago. I remember just thinking like, wow, I feel like I'm, this, I'm in this weird limbo. Yeah. I still feel so young. And I still feel like a child, but at the same time, like, I feel like I, I'm expected from society to figure life out and to yeah. know what the heck I'm doing. And like, you know, when I ended up in my first job and I realized like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if this is it. Like, I don't think this is for me. I was so, so confused. Hmm. And so like for you, like- How, how old were you at the time? Um, so um, I graduated- um, like 21, 20, 21, 22. Okay. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I got a job in, um, in the media industry. Yeah. Um, 
I honestly didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into. I just felt right. like, oh, okay, I want to be in the media industry because I want to impact the world and I want to change the world. And I feel like media is a great way to do that. Right. And then I ended up just like having a job that really, I just felt like I wasn't making an impact. Mm. So I stayed there for two and a half years. So 20, so from 22, 23, uh, 24 and a half. Um, and that's when I was like, oh my gosh, like I felt so, so lost. Like I, I can't, I can still remember just like those moments when I was driving in my car mm. and just crying and thinking like, oh my gosh, I feel so stuck. And is this what my life is going to be like? Is this like right. all I'm going to do? And like, you know, like in terms of the corporate role, like the next step that they lay out for you, I was like, okay, I, I look at people who are doing this, who's been doing this for 10 years. And I'm like, do I really want to be in their shoes 10 years from now? Yeah. But it was just like, I don't even know where to go. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a big part of that is, um, I call it like the expectation hangover mm. because it's like your expectation of coming into uh, your twenties after college uh, becomes very different than actual the reality. Yeah. So there's a, a huge gap between your reality and your expectation. Your expectation was very, very high and maybe, and your reality wasn't as high as, as, as you thought. Mm -hmm. So there, there is this kind of a tension and crisis. I'm like, wow, like I thought, I'm going to get into media or whatever field that is. And I'm somehow going to succeed and, you know, do all these great things that I've imagined, but life uh, and work, it, it doesn't turn out to be that way. And you feel somehow kind of like, man, is this really where I'm going to be stuck at for the rest of my life? And you're having all these thoughts. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think especially in your 20s, you're, you're seeing things in a very narrow way instead of, you know, you're, you're not thinking about your life in your 50s or 60s or 70s. Uh, when you're in 20s, you're thinking about year by year. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm 20, like five, I'm thinking about 26, 27. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think once you have a larger and broader view of life, then you could mm -hmm. actually start to um, take it slow and unhurry and appreciate what God is doing um, in, in, you know, every, 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 every part of your life. I think you get to yeah. appreciate that. So like, can you kind of walk us through in terms of like what it was like for you? Like, what was your 20s like? Um, well, for me, I think in my 20s, I similar to you, Sharon, I feel like I, I I had a dream. I My dream at the time in college was to become the youngest chief human resource officer at a Fortune 500 company. And I had an entire elevator pitch. And I was like, okay, after I graduate, I'm going to get into these type of jobs. Yeah. What and did you study in, in studied, college? Yeah, I studied business. Um, mm -hmm. I studied business at, in, at uh, UBC at, in Canada. Um, and I came to study abroad, you know, at, when I was 14, um, and then I graduated and ended up working for a company called Boeing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was at Boeing for about five years. And during that time is when I experienced my quarter life crisis and felt very lost because what I thought, what I got into, uh, would deliver ultimate happiness. That's what mm -hmm. I was imagining right all all these hours of networking and trying to work on my resume and 
you know, building relationships and getting into this great job, thought, you know, I, I would feel so much more fulfilled. But after about six months into it, I started to feel pretty empty and disillusioned mm. um, because that wasn't what reality was. And I think there was an expectation I had and um, just felt like after a year, this cog in a wheel um, didn't felt like I resonated with the purpose of the organization and uh, wasn't clear how I was building on my strengths and my own calling. So uh -huh. that, yeah, immediately turned into kind of this moment of crisis where I had to really go back and ask myself questions about who am I? Why am I here? You know, how did I even get here? And mm -hmm. just really ask the hard questions of life. Yeah. Can I ask what your position was in Boeing? Yeah, my I started off in HR um, in because that's what that was my specialization in mm -hmm. uh, OBHR organizational behavior human resources, uh -huh. and I transitioned into uh, lean um, process improvement, uh -huh. where we kind of create and streamline uh, better efficient ways of doing business. Mm -hmm. So, like, what was your expectation, and what was it about the job that you actually realized, like, oh, actually, I yeah. don't think I'm doing what I'm called to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, in business school, you're kind of setting up yourself to succeed in a white collar environment, right? So I always imagined myself working in a major, you know, cosmopolitan city, whether it's like New York City, yeah. LA, Chicago, working in a skyscraper in a 35th floor, you know, overseeing beautiful, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. You, and you're like working and, you know, building your, 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 um, your, your kind of brand and you know yeah. ladder and all I'm that. I'm smiling because that was like what I was thinking to <laughs> exactly. Exactly, yeah. You know, that's what that's what you know <laughs> business school taught me. And yeah. like, all my friends, you know, the most coveted job is to get into consulting. So mm -hmm. whether it's investment banking or you know strategy consulting, like those two fields were the ones where the top, the best of the cream of the crop would go. So somehow, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get into a fortune 500 company and, and work my way up. But, you know, Boeing, as you know, it's primarily a manufacturing company. So when I worked at the company, 70% or more were people um, who are blue collar workers. Mm -hmm. So they are machinists, people are assembly who are actually creating and, you know, um, creating products. And I, I, I clearly remember the first day I went to the orientation, I, I was so dressed up, you know, I'm like, uh -huh. I dress up, you gotta dress well. So I went there and then the, the manager, the orientation of uh, the guy who was facilitating the whole session afterwards came up to me and said, Paul, like, hey, you might want to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, like wow. You overdressed. Yeah, I, and I'm like, that's fascinating because I went there and everybody's in shorts and t-shirts uh -huh. and I'm like, what is this? Like, this is so different, you know? Uh -huh. um, so afterwards I, I took note of that and I'm like, okay, I got to try to fit into the culture here. But that, that was a major, I mean, culture shock mm -hmm. and just um, how people um, building relationships and things like that was very different than how I was trained. So those were some early signs of like differences that I realized. Yeah. So like what kind of impact did you want to make 
Um, I think at that time it was, you know, in my twenties and it was like, okay, like I, I want to, a lot of it honestly was for myself. A lot of it was, I want to kind of follow into the footsteps of my, my, my dad who was in business for, you know, 30 plus years mm-hmm. and he became very successful in his business, um, uh, in the corporate world. And somehow I felt like, yeah, I got to follow the same path and, get into a top five MBA and, you know, just kind of climb up the ladder and um, make a lot of money and make a name Mm -hmm. for myself. Um, And, you know, and that was kind of, I would say the ulterior motive uh, behind everything I do, but that's definitely started to change once I hit my crisis because I realized that those things weren't really the, the right KPI or measures of success because I wasn't feeling fulfilled or felt that this is what my purpose, you know? Mm -hmm. So then like, what, how do you define success? You know, cause I know your story is like in your late twenties, you left Boeing, you left this fortune 500 company and you, you decided to go on this journey of finding your calling and being in a search for a more meaningful life. And you wrote a book about it. So can you tell me like in terms of what changed in terms of your definition of success? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I had that crisis, um, up until that point, I really viewed success as climbing the corporate ladder, making a lot of money. You know, it's about making a name for yourself. But I realized uh, that success, according to God's definition, is actually spelled faithful stewardship. Mm-hmm. And as a believer, I realized that I was created by a purpose, that I was created with a specific design. And yeah. my specific um, and how, how I was defined with success was not about uh, how much money I make or what I do to uh, build up my brand, but it was actually about being faithful to the calling that God has put in my life. And that meant um, understanding how am I uniquely wired? How am I uniquely designed? What are my giftings, my talents, my holy discontent, um, my life experiences, and how do all of them intersect with each other? So it creates the sweet spot that I could enter into. So that was a process of discovering that and trying to be faithful to become the best version God has created me to be instead of constantly comparing myself to my friends or my peers or people who were just crushing it in their own lane. So it's about understanding what your lane is, which means um, if when you're saying yes to something, I also realize you're saying no to 1000 things. Yeah. And that was something that was very hard to grapple in the beginning because I think every young people have, uh, this comparison mindset. Uh, you know, one of my friend calls it the OCD, the obsessive comparison disorder. Um, <laughs> You're constantly obs- obsessively comparing yourself. Yeah, it creates FOMO, and it creates mm. like this idea that oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but I should be doing that because my friends are doing it. What I'm seeing on Instagram or Facebook that is dictating a person's decision on their vocational path more so than what God has designed you and gifted you and created you with. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so so good. I can relate to so many different things that you just mentioned, but I love what you said about faithful stewardship. Like that's what success is, like being faithful with what God has given you and what you have in your hands. Right. And 
you know, because I think it is so true, like everyone is so unique. And for me, like comparison, for example, too, like that's something that I struggled a lot with because, you know, like you graduate from college and there's all these people and they're like, oh my God, hashtag dream job, working at Google, (laughs) you know, like, oh, Facebook, I have the coolest job. And there I am like feeling like my, my job sucks. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, like, because my job, you know, because I feel like this or because I'm not, I I don't feel like I'm in my lane and I'm doing things that I'm not so interested in. I just felt like I, wow, like this sucks. I suck, but it's, you know, it's not like, I don't, I realize like I don't have to compare myself to other people because it's, I just need to be in my own lane. Like we're not, when I think about this, I think about how we're not, all in one race together like but it's just like this person's running their own lane and i'm in my own lane and yeah i think you know the narrative of america Mm -hmm. has always been the american dream that you can be anything you want to be but i think that's actually uh, a myth i don't really believe that you can become anything you want to be i believe that you can be a lot more of who you already are so i think it's very important for us to um, differentiate that because, yeah. you know, at a very young age, most Americans uh, who grew up here in America were um, really inculcated with this idea that, oh, wow, like, you know, if you're passionate about this or that, then just go pursue it because we're living in a free world. We're living in a world where you can do anything, but um, that's very dangerous. There's obviously room for exploration and mm-hmm. experimentation, but if that becomes um, the kind of the major narrative of a world, then you're just going to be unfulfilled because at some point you're realizing that, man, that's, that's not who I am. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So like for people who are listening who might be in, in a place where they're like resonating with everything that you're saying, like people can know in their head in terms of like, okay, like I need to figure out who I am and I need to mm. do more of that. But like, where do you begin? And like, what was it like for you? And how did you begin to explore that and like have the confidence in terms of like, oh, this is who I am. And this is what I'm going to do because this is who I am. Yeah. Um, Well, I think, you know, one of the first things I would advise is slowing down. Mm -hmm. And it's, it seems like a counterintuitive an idea because we're living in a world where so we're so progress oriented. We're all about doing and accomplishing and, and writing books and, you know, getting your name out there. And it's all about external facing. It's all about accomplishing. And, and I think there's danger in that because part of it is your, your heart is wired for something more than just things that you're accomplishing. Mm-hmm. Um, I truly believe that only God can fill your heart. And with the love of God, he will be able to make you complete and whole but we're finding our identity in things that is perishable. And as a result of that, especially in your quarter life time, when you're quitting your job or you get laid off or you're switching different majors or, or you're moving to a new city, that's where it shows where has my identity been tied to? Uh, Because if you thought like this was going to be your dream job and it's not what you thought, then you realize how much disappointment you experience. And that's a result of how much of your identity was tied to that. 
So what I would just say is before you try to move on to the next thing, first of all, just take time and try to listen to your life. Uh, Parker Palmer um, said this, one of my favorite quotes. He said that before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must first listen to my life telling me who I am. And I think there is some wisdom there where I would generally, you know, if this was a coaching session, I would guide someone to kind of map out their entire life story Mm -hmm. from the time they were born to time they are now today and identify key defining moments, things that happen in your life that made you who you are. It could be positive, uh, uplifting moments, but in life, it's not always that's the case. There's times of pain, trial, and adversity. And I would just visually map it out. And I would try to see your life from a 30,000 feet view and see what are the things that happened? Why did it happen? What, what if my life is a story? If I'm in the first act of my story, uh, based on my story, where is it pointing me to? So I think kind of giving that big picture perspective, I think is, uh, is a really good place to begin. So whether it's journaling or um, it's kind of leaning into mentors or coaches, this is, this is a perfect time to actually invest in that. And I don't think we actually try to do that as much as like what people are trying to tell us, whether it's a parents or people around us who says, hey, just, you just have to suck it up and just try to move on. No, that, that's so true. I love, I love what you said. I think because, you know, when I think back in terms of the time, um, back at the time when I felt really stuck, I was constantly doing that because I was so frustrated. So I kept trying, I kept asking myself like, okay, God, like, what am I supposed to do? And just writing down all these different things, writing down what my strengths are, writing down the things that give me joy. Um, I remember there was this one time when I was just like, okay, God, like, I have no idea what I want to do. And I felt like God was just speaking to me. He was just like saying, Sharon, just, just do more of the things that bring you joy. And it got me thinking, okay, like, oh, like, what brings me joy? You know, oh, I love talking with people and helping people. And just like, these are little signs that I was getting. And then I think what really changed was when I actually started working with mentors. And that was just such a game changer. And I don't know if it's like an Asian thing where mm. I feel like it's not, I don't know. I, I never felt like it was such a big thing where people were telling me like, oh, you need mentors, you need mentors or things like that. But like, I remember at that time, um, I started meeting with a career coach, um, which is so crazy to how that happened because um, I was at church one day on a Wednesday night, just crying, be like, I'm so lost, God. Like, I'm so frustrated. Like, mm. please don't leave me in this place forever. And then that night I met a friend, an old friend, and he's like, oh, by the way, I did career coaching. And I'm like, <laughs> didn't even know there was career coaching really mm. that time. But I started like with him and then like other mentors in my life, like people who are ahead of me, like that was a game changer for me. So mm-hmm. for you, like who were like some of the mentors in your life and like who are the people who spoke into your life and like how did they impact you? In your yeah, life? yeah, that's great. Uh, obviously, my parents come to mind. Um, I'm just so thankful, you know, that I have parents who I can lean into, who who really serve as not just only my parents, but just mentors, guides in my life, really bringing wisdom into uh, many of 
life decisions that I have made over life, even though I kind of, you know, moved away to study abroad at a very young age. Um, I was able to kind of spend time um, with them, you know, before I got married and just kind of uh, restore some of that time back that I've missed, you know, but parents definitely are one of them. I would also say for me, honestly, I've always been an active and uh, lifelong learner. So um, through many books that I've read, many of them became my mentors. Um, You know, a lot of them I've never met in person, but um, with access of technology and content over, you know, Google and YouTube, um, I just got to know their stories and a lot of their wisdom, um, honestly, captured in a book has helped me significantly to understand myself better. So even for my journey of calling, I've read, I think, about 100 books mm-hmm. on the whole idea of calling and purpose, you know, from Rick Warren's, you know, famous purpose-driven life to, to Gordon Smith's Courage and Calling and, you know, uh, Os Guinness's The Call. Like, there's so many books out there. But the beauty of that is, as an author, um, I, I realize that writing a book is no joke. <laughs> like yeah. it, it's actually a big investment. And if I'm able to buy someone's like five years of project of learning and wisdom, mm-hmm. their entire life like captured in a book where I could spend uh, a week to read it um, with less than $25, that's like the greatest you know, return on investment ever. So for me, I've been always open-minded and trying to learn, trying to understand. And, and if I actually come across an author where I really, really enjoy, then I uh, actually reach out to them and I try to just set up a phone conversation and try to build more of a person, in-person relationship. Um, so, you know, it's funny. Like, I think looking back over the last 10 plus years, I could write an entire book out of people I've connected just on social media and how many of them became some of my closest friends. Um, Many of them I became coaches and mentors of mine. But yeah, social media has changed the game. Um, Before you would read a book and I'm like, I have no idea where this person lives, what what this person does. Uh, But now with Twitter and Instagram Mm -hmm. and Facebook, it's just like one message away. And you could start, so you know, podcasting them or interviewing them. Yeah, like I guess right now, but that's what yeah, I'm saying. Exactly. The beauty of social media. I so um, that's definitely uh, been a bit of quite a journey for me. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I really hope that like, you know, I think this age that we live in is so amazing with technology. And that's my that's my one thing too. Like, I'm like, oh my God, we have so so many resources in our hands. And just so many people that we can reach out to and talk to. And I really hope that we're using social media in a way that's more than just like, you know, I want to, I'm going to take a cute picture for self-affirmation or, you know, like things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so like in your 20s, you mentioned you read so a lot of different books. What are like some of the books that changed your life the most in your 20s? Mm. Wow, there's so many. Um, <laughs> gosh. I think, you know, definitely one of them um, is actually a biography by a Christian apologist called um, Ravi Zacharias. He wrote a book called Walking from East to West. Um, He 
was born in India um, and he actually moved to Canada when he was about, I think, 13, 14 years old. Very similar like me, like who share a third culture, um, kind of, a, you know, that's our common denominator. But mm-hmm. uh, his life was just so powerful in the sense that he almost committed suicide, you know, at the age of 15, 16. And he didn't have any meaning and purpose in life. And then, um, you know, his life turned around as he heard the gospel and just he became a servant of the Lord and he started traveling, speaking and had an incredible impact in my life. I read, I think, most of his, all of, all of his books. Um, so it's one of those books that I read, honestly, that very few times like, I actually cried reading a book and like his book actually made me cry. So it's just a powerful, powerful story that um, just resonated with me a lot. Second book I would say is uh, John Maxwell's um, books on 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Um, this is a classic, obviously, but anyone who wants to grow as a leader, this is like textbook. So for me, learning what it means to be a leader, learning what it means to influence people and guide people and coach people, um, everything I had to learn about that was captured in John Maxwell's book. Um, so I think that's, a, that's another book come to my mind. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, I love asking this question because I think like books are, are so wonderful in the way that they change people's mind. And like mm-hmm. you said, it's like you're taking five, 10 years of this person's knowledge and you're, you're able to consume it in just, you know, under $20. Right. Which is so amazing. It's a bargain, um, sure. Yeah. So like um, for you, when you were writing uh, your book, Quarter Life Calling, and you, you know, this whole journey that you went on, like, can you tell me like what was kind of going on when you first decided, okay, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to write this book. I'm going to do this. Like, what was that journey like? Yeah, absolutely. First, I would say, if, if you had asked me that question, like about uh-huh. the time I would quit my job, like uh-huh. I would absolutely have no clue I would be where I am today. Mm. Like that's part of life. It's like, uh-huh. you can't control it. There's no yeah. certainty. Uh-huh. Just because it actually feels like an adventure, which is kind yeah. of cool. So for me, after I, I've been reading hundred books on calling and through mentors and through people and through understanding who I am, how did God design me? Mm-hmm. I had a lot more confidence in who I was and also knowing and being comfortable with who I'm not. And um, I I started to now think about, okay, where am I right now? What am I really called to do? And Mm. recognizing that the life I'm living, it's so precious. There's only one life I get to live. I didn't just want to live according to the narrative of the world's definition of success. I really wanted to maximize every moment of it. So for me, I, I realized I had to quit my job. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I honestly felt God wanted me to write a book mm-hmm. on this learning and my journey of finding my calling. Because mm-hmm. many people, as, as I'm sure you know, in their 20s, they're wrestling with this question. They're feeling lost and they don't mm-hmm. have anyone to look up to or lean into. And... I just felt like I had to write it. Mm. So ended up quitting my job in 2015. And How old were you when you quit your job? 
I was 28 years old mm-hmm. and I um, ended up moving into my parents' house. I um, yeah, quit my job and I was in actually in my master's program during that time. So um, I felt like, okay, I had about a year of a buffer time mm-hmm. where I could explore things and try out new things, but I'll eventually try to go back in either consulting or corporate America. Mm. But once I self-published my book, just my entire future trajectory changed. Um, certain couple things I want to highlight for you is the day I launched my book, it actually became a, a Amazon bestseller, which kind of blew my mind as wow. a first-time author. Um, and, you know, and did you take one year to write the book? That one year that you had after you quit your job, or I actually made it my full-time job to write it in three months. But I already wow. had four or five years of uh-huh. research and learning that I've kind of yeah, collected. So um, the writing part was just like full time, almost every day writing. Um, wow. So yeah, it turned out to be about three months or so. Wow. I self-published it. Um, but, you know, the first day I sold thousand books, um, had a book launch team and um, did that whole thing that, you know, Michael Hyatt kind of talks about building your platform. But um, ultimately, what, what really changed the game was a few days later, I get a call, um, actually an email from a literary agent in New York City. And uh, she actually reaches out to me and says, Paul, um, I actually came across your book. I read your book and your book changed my life. Wow. And I'm reaching out to you because I honestly believe this book could have a greater reach with millennials. Mm. Would you be interested to republish this? I read this. I clearly remember (laughs) reading this email from my phone and I'm like, wow, this, this is a good scam. (laughs) Like someone (laughs) from Nigeria, they want my bank account information number. Like this has to be a joke. She calls me the next day. Paul, like, I'm not joking. This is real. This is my job. Um, I really want to talk about this. And I'm going to be in LA the next week. Would you be interested to meet up? So I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do that. So week goes by. We ended up having this conversation. And she says, Paul, I'm going to send out a proposal today to every single Christian publisher I know. And Paul, let's just pray and see what God does. So two weeks goes by, I get a call from my agent again and says, Paul, like you wouldn't believe this. Like, this is crazy, but like you just got seven offers from the top Christian publishers. Wow. And um, just, you know, I, this never happened to me, especially yeah. first time author. So at that moment, I heard the news. For some reason, I felt excited, but I also felt anxious. I also felt like the sense of, um, peace as well, because I knew that God was up to something mm-hmm. beyond my control, beyond my imagination, but I just had to be faithful and just take that one tiny step mm-hmm. and just do the right thing and kind of see what God is doing and unfolding. So long story short, ended up uh, republishing the book and I started my speaking career out of that, honestly, get calls from pastors, started going to churches, uh, colleges, conferences, 
and then the book got translated in Korean. And then, you know, that kind of started a new path for me to go to Korea, mm-hmm. which, which is uh, my mother country and being able to speak both languages fluently, you know, I had to go and um, really just share the news and share uh, my messages to the younger generation there. Got translated in Polish. And again, like all these happened without me planning it out, which mm-hmm. is the crazy thing with life. Yeah. And I know that it is not coincidence. I know that God is in control and he and his sovereignty has allowed this to happen. Um, and for me to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm not in control of my life. Mm. Actually, the number one step of finding and living out your calling is surrendering your life, surrendering your ego, your ambitions, and asking God and letting God to be on the driver's seat and, and lead you. So that, that's been, you know, a big lesson that I had. Yeah, that's amazing. And then, so I know for the podcast, a lot of my listeners are actually from Korea. So what's the title of the book in Korean? Yeah, the title of the book is called 청년의 시간. And uh, it's, it's a book for those in their 20s or 30s, um, again, who is wrestling with their purpose and their calling in life. Yeah. And you mentioned before, uh, last time we were talking, that you also met your wife there in yeah. Korea about doing all this. That's crazy. That's crazy. I did meet my wife. And again, like, this is something I never planned. But my wife actually knew about me because she found my book at a bookstore, just randomly browsing. And she read the entire book in one sitting. And ended up following me on Instagram. <laughs> we we're talking about social media yeah. right? <laughs> on Instagram. She follows me, and oh. I, I, I see her profile. I'm like, who's this beautiful woman? <laughs> so I'm like, I need to get to know her more. But you know, we never did any DMs or anything. But I ended up going to Korea a few months later for a conference, and I met her there. And that's when you know we started talking, and you know, the rest is history. That's so amazing. It's kind of like, imagine what would have happened or what wouldn't have happened if you decided in that moment of like, you know what, I'm just gonna just gonna stay the safe route. I'm yeah. not gonna take risk. I'm not gonna be obedient in who God, who I feel like God is calling me to be. And if you didn't take that time to be obedient to write that book, you know, yeah. like... <laughs> no, like, I think about it all the time. Wow. And I'm like, wow, like, man, this is powerful when you're being faithfully living out your calling in your life. The type of ripple effect that it will have is not just one dimensional, it's three dimensional. And it's just, and and it's not even done yet. Like, I I don't know, like the type of impact it will have, but um, you don't really see that when, when you say yes to your call. So for anybody's listening out there, um, I, I would just highly encourage you to to never lose sight of your calling in, in the, despite despite the challenges that you will face, uh, the hardships you will face. Um, if, if God has led you there, he will sustain you by his grace. Yeah, that's that's so good. And you know, that's that's actually reminds me. So right before I took that leap of faith, because for me too, when I left my job in Los Angeles to, you know, to to be on this whole adventure, Mm. 
mm-hmm. you know, of like trying to figure things out. And my journey was really messy too. I didn't know exactly what I'm going to, like, I had no idea I'll be doing a podcast about, you know, <laughs> for like millennials like this. I had no idea that I would be a certified life coach. I had no idea of all these different, I didn't even, even know what the heck life coaching was because mm. I started off you know, just having an e-commerce store and thinking like, yeah, 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 let me sell some dog <laughs> clothes online. You know, like I had no idea. But like, I remember when I was sitting in my cubicle, I was listening to all these podcasts and audible books and things like that about calling and about life and things like that. And there was this devotional on the Bible app that I was doing specifically. And I think that was something that kind of set in motion a lot of different things. Mm. But if I can't remember um, correctly in terms of what the devotional said, there's this one thing that said, um, years later, when you look back on your life, are you going to say, oh, I felt like God was telling me to go, but I was scared, so I didn't do anything? Or Mm. are you going to look back and say, I felt like God was telling me to go, and I came out with a faith-filled adventure to tell? Mm. And I remember just thinking like, oh, Man, yeah, when I look back, I want to come, come out and say, I had a faith-filled adventure. Mm. You, know? you never know what you're going to run into. And maybe yeah. like, maybe you're going to experience some failures along the way and mm-hmm. setbacks. And it's not going to be easy. It's, it could be tough. But like, it would yeah. be an adventure to tell. Then just like, yeah, you know, I didn't do anything. I just stayed stagnant. And yeah, yeah and I think that that actually really got me thinking. And mm-hmm. I remember I took a screenshot of that and I posted on Instagram on my story. Mm-hmm. The next day, my team, so I had an assistant at that time, our team assistant, he handed in his resignation letter. Oh, wow. <laughs> and later he told me he was thinking about it for a while, but he saw wow. that on my story and then he decided I'm going to quit tomorrow. <laughs> Wow. So I was like, oh, well, I don't know if it's such a good thing, but I was happy <laughs> for him, you know, like, if this is not where you want to be, I'm happy nah, that yeah. you that. And wow. then a couple weeks later, I, I handed in my resignation letter. <laughs> that's, that, that's power of questions. I think, like, asking yeah. the right questions, and especially that question is so powerful. Um, and it helps you it stretches you you know to think outside the box and kind of where you are so wow you yeah. made a powerful you know post that was probably- <laughs> I, know. I had no idea but i laughed so hard when like he told me like oh by the way you know i was debating whether to like you know whether to quit or not but i saw your post on instagram and i'm like oh cool my assistant quit because i posted something <laughs> But it was, it was really interesting. And I think it really forces people to think in terms of long-term, like you said, like the big picture mm-hmm. where you want to be. And like all the people that, all the lives that you changed, like you said, like the person who told you like, Paul, your book changed my life. Yeah. And I'm sure like there's so many people who, you know, you were able to impact and directly speak into because you did that. And I think sometimes a lot of us like as creators or as people who are trying to do something that's different, the biggest roadblock oftentimes it's fear, fear mm. of judgment or fear or and things like that. And for me too, like I struggle so much with that, but mm. I have to think, okay, like what's on the other side of fear? Right. 
I, yeah. I could just like not do anything. I could not, you know, oh, maybe like not even start this podcast or things like that because I'm so self-conscious of like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, like will people listen or like, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to sound or all these different things. Mm. But, but then when I think about, okay, like, oh, but this thing, like this knowledge of other people, like this can change someone's life that, you know, it puts into perspective of like what you're actually doing. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, uh, I'm reminded of uh, a book by this nurse um, called The Top Five Regrets of Dying. And oh, yeah, I, I know that. Um, five, what's, his, what's her name? Um, Bronnie Ware. Bronnie Ware. That's yeah. actually something that really changed me when I was thinking about yeah, quitting too. <laughs> that's, that's, it's fascinating because for yeah. those who, who don't know about this book, she she's a nurse, I think, in Australia. And for for like a decade, she's been... Um, trying to help people in the palliative care. And Mm -hmm. basically she uh, asks, you know, people who are dying, what what are your common regrets that you've had in in life? Um, And the number one, the most common regret out of all of the responses she got was this, that I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Yeah. And I think that really resonates with so many people, which, you know, for me and for you and your friend who felt like I I can't just live according to someone else's script. Yeah. I have to live a life that I was meant to, was born to. Um, And I think that's powerful. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah. I I agree. And that's so true. And you know, like when I first heard that, because I, I heard her talk at actually a podcast interview and, you know, and she mentioned that. And I remember just thinking at that moment, because for me, you know, 23, 24 at that time, I felt like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like everything that I've been doing is just to meet other people's expectation mm. of who I should be. And I remember the worst feeling that I had and that in my quarter life crisis thing, it was that I felt like I, I didn't even know what I like and what I actually want to do anymore because I just, instead of, I didn't ask myself, okay, what, who am I and what do I want to do? I kept asking, okay, um, how can I look good in society? Mm. You know, well, um, how can I look like I'm being successful or like who does my parents want me to be? And all the decision was based on that. And I realized at that time, like, crap, like, I, I feel like I don't even know how to make decisions for myself because I was so busy living mm. for other people's expectation. That's so good. Yeah, so, so good. Um, so quick question for people who are in this transition period where they're like on the edge of like, okay, like I'm you know, I'm not comfortable here, but I want to transition to something. Um, where can they begin to find some clarity in life direction? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think, um, first of all, is to embrace the moment. And I think oftentimes people think of transitions and they, they often think that this is a, a process that I just have to bypass. I just have to quickly move on to the next thing. But the reason why there's transition is because God wants to do some sort of a work inside of you that is he's, he's creating this kind of metamorphosis, right? Like how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. 
to become who you are called to be and created to be, there has to be this process that happens, which usually is painful um, because change is naturally associated with loss and loss will create pain. But growth happens so much in this time of transition. So the having the mindset of saying, I'm actually going to enjoy this process as much as I can. I'm actually going to try to learn as much in this process as possible and not try to speed up the process, but just try to let it be. So this whole idea of unhurrying comes to place. So um, great book, John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I believe is the clarion call for this generation. It's really important for us to step back and just kind of unhurry, first of all. Um, second, I would say is um, really being able to kind of dive into your own identity and think about what are you learning about yourself in light of this trans- transition? What's clear to you? And what is something about you that you learned about yourself that is not you? And I think it's really important for you to have a greater clarity around who you really want to be, which may be who you, very different from who you really are, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Wait, Can you repeat that? So who you really want to be can be different from who you are? Yes, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Because who you want to be may be somebody else's expectation of you. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's what the world is telling of you. Um, but if you really are true to who you are, then, um, you could work on yourself and you may not become the other person that you're jealous of, or you're like aspiring to, but you're going to have a better understanding of this is my lane. This is my unique gifting. This is my calling. And I'm going to learn from others, but I'm not going to just become like them and become a just like a copy machine of that person. I'm going to learn from them, but I'm going to become who I am and who I was called to be. And that's very, very different. And in an age today where everybody can mimic and copy, um, it's very hard for people just to be themselves. Wow. That's so good. Like, no, I wish I I heard that like years ago. (laughs) I think that would have helped me so much. And also like, uh, it really reminds me of this, um, a YouTube video called The Power of Being Lost by um, R. Kelly, R. Kelly, I forgot his name. But I remember like, he talks about how, I guess, like the power of being lost. And like you mentioned, of like, being okay with that transition, and being okay being in this place. Mm-hmm. I think there is power in itself of just like, this turmoil of like, oh, okay, I'm not comfortable here. And that pain of change, I think there's power because it means that you are transforming in this time, like in this time of pain, in this time where you feel lost, like you're being forced to like be more creative. You're being forced to really look at yourself in depth. Absolutely. That's the process. Yeah. Um, So there's this question that I ask all my guests on my podcast. It's this question of if you were to write a letter to our generation, a letter that begins with these two words, dear millennials, what Mm. would you write? That's a great question. Um, I would say dear millennials, 
begin with the end in mind. And uh, if I could qualify what that means is um, Stephen Covey said that, you know, always you have to think about what is the end? Where are you heading towards? Understanding your destination, which actually will help you understand your direction. And if your destination is clear, then you will know what are the specific steps to take as you reverse engineer and think about the number of numerous decisions to make. And I honestly think that destination is your purpose, your calling, your or whatever words you want to call it, that becomes your true north. Uh-huh. And as you begin to imagine what that might look like and pray and lean into God and through coaches and others and have a clear picture of what that might look like, then reverse engineer to where you are today and ask yourself, First and foremost, who do you need to be instead of what I need to do? Because a doing is, again, it's about accomplishing certain things, but being is more about character development. And I think those two, you have to differentiate. But as you begin with the end in mind, that's going to give definitely a lot more clarity in your life. So good. So good. Oh my God, that is so good. Um, Paul, so for those who are listening, um, how can they find you? How can they connect with you? Um, yeah, I, I love to connect with anyone. Uh, you can find me on uh, my, my blog, paulson.org, or my Facebook, Instagram. Happy to connect there as well. But for those who wanting more information about a millennial-related content on calling, you also could go to Kara. QARA.org as well. And there's a number of resources uh, that you could uh, just get for free and learn from as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Honestly, this, wow, I learned so much. And yeah, thank you so much. This is so gold. So thank you so much for being here, for making time. This, This means a lot to me as well. So appreciate what you do. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And, you know, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot of this episode, share it with your friends, share it on social media, and tag me at Sharon Kilon Han or message me. Let me know what you learned and how this episode impacted your life. And also, if you can take some time to leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, This would help this podcast be heard and discovered by many more people. I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening and see you guys in the next episode.